Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Lord Jesus, we would be transformed by your word today. We are, we are not observers. We are disciples. Our lives belong to you. Our days are yours. Our finances, our energy, our families, everything is yours, Lord. And we would live for you with all our hearts till we step across and see you. Would you plant the word in us today? Open our ears, soften our hearts. Give us eyes that see. Lord, we would follow you. We'd put our hand in yours, great Messiah. Teach us, Rabboni. Feed us. We love you. And we believe in you with all, all that's in us. I ask for grace to get out of the way and let us see you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in John 15, verse 16 and 17 is what I will be focusing on. But I'm going to uh, read to you quickly uh, the chapter 15 up to that point because it all comes to bear with what I'm going to what I'm going to teach you Jesus speaks this um, on that final night within hours I mean we're probably within two or three hours at the most of his arrest uh, it is a Passover night we have a full moon the city is very still uh, everyone is in their homes, all the families and people have gathered in houses, you know, for Passover and are, are, st are staying there. So no one's out in the streets. Somewhere in the course of the evening, they, he, he's been, he's been in, the, in an upper room and he's served uh, Passover to his uh, disciples. He's washed their feet, remember that? And then we're taking communion later today. Uh, he took bread from the Passover meal, broke it and said, this is my body, and gave it to them. He took the cup and held it up, the uh, cup of redemption, and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, and passed it to them. He's going to pass it to you and me today. Uh, we'll be taking part of that same meal. Uh, and then at some point, he said, let's rise and let's go. Uh, Judas uh, Iscariot has gone out to report him to the uh, religious authorities. He, he's going to the temple. He's going to talk to the high priest. And they will come with a Levitical guard. It wasn't Roman soldiers that arrested Jesus. It was the religious police. And they came with, with, with priests and all. And they ar would, would arrest him. But Judas is on his way to report his whereabouts. And where, where is he? He's in that upper room. By the way, that, that house is a, becomes a headquarters for, for Christianity. Uh, that house was owned by Mary. Her name is Mary. Her son is named John Mark. Uh, he wrote a gospel you may have read. Uh, her brother or her cousin, but I think it's her brother, is named Barnabas. Uh, and, and so this is quite the family. And they're in the upper room of this, this, this house uh, having this. And at some point, Jesus is aware that as the time has progressed, Judas will be coming back very quickly now with the police. And he's not, he's not done. There's more to say. And he's got to pray over us all. And so he says, rise, let's go. And so they go out into the night. They go out into this Jerusalem. Um, I think, obviously, they're headed toward the Kidron Valley. They I think they get to the Kidron Valley because on the other side is the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives. 
And uh, he stops, I think, by a grapevine. You can see everything. You can practically see color in a full moon. Uh, it's, it's quite bright. And so they, he stops by a grapevine, and, and he begins to say what I'm about to read. Here we are. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'd like you to read verse 4 out loud with me. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And then I'll carry on. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Would you say much fruit? For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you, prove, by, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Would you say that? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that your joy may, my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. This, I want you to read that one too. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love, ha than this has, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things I have heard from my father I made known to you. And here we are at the texts. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Don't you love that? Your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give to you. Now, my translation says this. It says, this I command you, that you love one another. It sounds like sort of an echo of what he said earlier. But it is not what the Greek says, and they know that. I mean, the translators know that, but they don't know what to do with it. And so they simply render it that way for the most part. I'm not making this up, and I'm not wrong. I mean, this seldom am, you know. Um, no, but I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I am right. I mean, in terms of the Greek here. And, and others certainly know say the same thing. What he says here, here's the literal rendering of what he says in verse 17. He says, these things I command you so that you may love one another. These things I command you, plural, these things I command you so that you may love one another. In other words, I've given you some commandments that if you'll obey them, you will love one another. Wow, what are those commandments? That's what we're going to look at today. Maintaining a loving heart. Love is the key to longevity. And longevity is the key to much fruit. That means that in order to bear much fruit, 
we have to stay in relationship with people for a long time. And to do that, we have to love them. If love declines, we withdraw. We become judgmental. We cease to pray for that person and stop serving them. And when those activities stop, our positive influence comes to an end. We cease to be part of God's solution and become part of the problem. So if you and I are going to bear much fruit, as Jesus has asked us to do, we must learn how to maintain a loving heart. We just say maintain a loving heart. That's what we're talking about today. We can't allow ourselves to grow sour. We can't permit offenses to accumulate. We can't, we can't let self-pity or impatience steal away our love. Yet the pressures of life wear heavily on all of us. Our physical health can vary. People can hurt us or disappoint us. And when they do, we grow tired of them and just want to be alone. Don't say amen. When Jesus, <laughs> when Jesus speaks about bearing fruit, he's saying... He wants you and me to help others become his disciples. He's not talking about the fruit of the Spirit and you and I, all that kind of thing. Those things are true, those, but those are not what he's talking about. He's talking about you and I influencing other people in whatever way he's given us to do and drawing them to the living God. Amen. And for that to happen, we have to have healthy relationships with them. So learning to tend our hearts becomes a skill each of us must master. We must learn to monitor the condition of our love on a day-to-day -day basis. Has our love declined? Have people become a burden rather than a joy? Has offense taken hold and begun to strangle our affection? If so, those wrong attitudes must be pulled out like weeds must be removed from a garden. The love within us needs to be refreshed by drawing close to Jesus. We need to remember his commands and let them confront the wrong attitudes that have begun to grow. And above all, we must again and again make that decision to put the needs of others ahead of our own. I realize that there are people who end up in unhealthy, codependent relationships. But that is not what Jesus was talking about when he told us to love one another as he has loved us. He was telling us to keep things in perspective. To remember how important each human being is to God. He loved us like that. And he wants us to lay down our lives so that others can live too. It was late in the evening on that final Passover night. Somewhere out, just outside the city of Jerusalem. Jesus was preparing his disciples for the new season that lay ahead of them. Their years of walking beside him as he ministered throughout Israel were over. In only a few hours he would be arrested and executed. And then he would rise from the dead and ascend to heaven. So it, they were the ones who must carry on what he had begun. He told them, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. He assured them that they would have great authority in prayer. And then he said this, these things I command you so that you may love one another. Would you say that with me? Read the, what I have there. These things I command you so that you may love one another. Because maintaining a loving heart is the key to bearing fruit, let's sit with those 11 men and let Jesus teach us how to love one another for a long time. Then Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. He told them, you didn't start this relationship. I did. I, I selected you to be my apostles because I know that you can bear fruit. 
That's why I'm telling you these things. I'm confident you will draw people to me who will be with me forever. And by those words, he placed within them an inner assurance. Even if they doubted themselves, they knew he expected great things from them. But as he has already made clear, that, that confidence was not based on their natural abilities. He wasn't looking at them going, guys, I believe in you. I believe in you guys. It isn't that. But he, on the gifts that his cross and resurrection would bring to them, they would soon have tremendous access in prayer to the Father. Have you heard that over and over again? If you will abide in me, whatever you ask the Father, you will have. If you and I uh, feel uh, encouraged to ask for great things, it's Jesus' fault. That is not some kind of strange thing. That is what he taught over and over again. They would soon be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. All they would need to do would be to stay attached to him like the branches of a grapevine, and they would bear much fruit. Jesus initially addressed this statement to the 11 men he had personally selected to be his apostles. He had prayed and then invited each one by name to travel with him so they could observe him as he ministered and listen to him as he taught. His goal was to prepare them to lead the church that would emerge after he ascended into heaven. But that statement wasn't meant exclusively for them. Jesus was also speaking to those who would believe in him through their word. How many believe in him through their word? Four of us, five of us, 15. Yeah, I was hoping it was more. The same is true of all that he taught. He chose those 11 men not to be part of a special class of leaders who he would treat differently from all other believers, but to be the first of many to become examples of what all who would follow him in the future should become. That's really important. When you listen to him speaking to those those. those future apostles. That is not simply him saying, okay, you 11 guys, you have authority. You 11 guys, you're going to have all of these things. He's talking to the first of many. They are going to go out all over the world. They're going to go to India. They're going to go to Ethiopia. They're going to go, they're going to, they're going to be, uh, every one of them except John is going to die a martyr's death. They are going to carry the gospel everywhere. And what he's taught them and what he's put in them, they are now going to go out and, and, and plant churches and, and teach others to do the same. All, he says in, in, in John 17, all who believe in me through their word. That's us. That's us. He spoke to us. He prayed for us. Everything you're reading is for you. When he says, I chose you, you didn't choose me. Is that true? How many got, were smart enough to find him on your own? How many got herded into it? Like, <laughs> you know, like I, I couldn't get out of it. And he came after me. He, he found you, didn't he? And, the, and he chose you. And, he, and he'll say why he chose you. He chose you because he's confident in what the power of the Holy Spirit can do through you. That's why he's sure they're much fruit. You are going to have complete access to the Father in prayer. In, when you pray in my name, which doesn't mean tag that phrase onto the end. It means you, as my servants, doing what I told you to do, listening to me, following me, praying what you need to pray as you obey me, he will give you the answers, yes. Amen. And then he says, and you're going to be full of the Holy Spirit. And he'll remind you of everything I've said. He will teach you. He'll bring it to your remembrance. He will strengthen you. And while you're at it, he'll convict the world 
of, of, of sin that they don't believe in me, of righteousness that I go to the Father, and of, uh, what is the third one? Judgment, yes, that the ruler of this world has been judged. He says, you're, you're going to bear a lot of fruit because you're going to go out in the power that's been with me. You follow that? He's talking to us. He's talking to us. You say, well, the world's bad. Yeah, but he's bigger. And I will tell you right now, I'll tell you, people are getting saved hard and deep. People are coming to the Lord. I, I've, I've never seen more people more easily come to the Lord than in this. You can call how crazy it is, but in this time. All over the world. All over the world. Uh, I, was, I was just reading an article uh, on, on the church in China. And this is a very scholarly article one of you gave me. And uh, what, what, we, what I didn't know, what, you know, there's, there's just like 100 million, 100, whatever, believers. And uh, one of the major moves, it's all Pentecostal, by the way. The, the, the statement was made, the, the major social movement on planet Earth today is Pentecostal Christianity. And by Pentecostal, they meant baptized in the Holy Spirit, um, believes, the, believes that the gifts and miracles and works of God are for today as much as they were. The, and so the, the Chinese church looks at this and they, 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 they open this thing and go, well, this is what we ought to be doing. Yep. <laughs> How crazy is that? Huh? It's not crazy, is it? That's what they believe. So they open it up and they say, well, it looks like we ought to be casting out devils. Looks like we ought to be praying for the sick here. Looks like we ought to be preaching. And looks like we may, we may get martyred in the process. And so they have had the courage to march into the flames and suffer enormously. And the church is exploding in China. Hallelujah. And, and many places around the world. Many places around the world. This is a great time to be alive. It's not an easy time. You're under a tremendous assault mentally and emotionally in, in, in the culture we live in. But Jesus is powerfully Amen. at work in this day. Amen? So when he says you're going to bear much fruit, he means you and me. We are going to do it. And actually already it has begun. I have no idea where I launched into that <laughs> diatribe. Um, where am I? And I didn't hear one word you just said. It was like peas and carrots. Okay, yeah. He, I'm going to start here at he had prayed. And then invited, oh, I read that, I know I had. But that statement wasn't meant exclusively for them. He was speaking to those who would believe in him through their word, and the same is true of all that he taught. He chose those 11 men. Okay, I read all of that, didn't I? But let's hear it again. Not to be part of a special class of leaders who he would treat differently from all other believers, but to be the first of many, to become examples of what all who would follow him in the future should become. Their assignment was to bear fruit that would remain, meaning they would produce disciples whose faith would endure the temptations and persecutions of life. And also, with that assignment, he assured them, whatever you may ask the Father in my name, he may give you. If they followed him as he had followed the Father, they would have unrestricted access to the Father in prayer, and it would be their authority in prayer which would release great fruitfulness. A few months earlier, verse 17, Jesus had commanded his disciples to love one another. A few moments earlier, excuse me. But here in this verse, he explains that their love for one another would also be a natural result of their obedience to his other commands. 
Translated literally, this verse reads, these things I command you so that you may love one another. In other words, in order for you to love one another, you must obey all these commands I've just given you. If he means the commands he has issued since leaving the upper room, as I just mentioned to you, then those commands include continuing to believe in him and maintaining an ongoing relationship with him, obedience to his teachings, and a decision to sacrificially love one another. Apparently, lovelessness toward other believers indicates that a person has ceased to have an active relationship with Jesus and is not obeying his teaching. These things I have commanded. If you'll do them, you'll love one another. Here we go. Source of love. Love is something we borrow from God. It's not something we're able to produce for ourselves. He alone is the source of all real love. It radiates from him like warmth and light radiate from the sun. See, life comes from God. All life is from him. He, he, he radiates it. He gives it. And so does love. So in order for us to genuinely love someone else, we must first draw close to the source. When our relationship with him is strong, he fills our hearts with love. But if that relationship grows weak, our hearts inevitably turn cold. That's why our love for others is actually a very good indicator of our love for God. When we love him, we love them. When our spiritual life is dry, people frustrate us. Now think about it. What is the characteristic that when people think, and, and I know it's, it's harsh and unfair often, but not always. What do they think about when they think of Christians? They think of crabby, judgmental people. What's, what is wrong with that? What would Jesus say was wrong with that? You know, wait, 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 wait a minute. He says, if you are with me, you're not crabby and judgmental. Right. It, it's really important for you and I to guard our hearts. You, 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 if you, you cannot listen to the kinds of things on the media, whether, you, whether, it's, whether it's, you know, talk radio, left or right, whether it's whatever it is, you cannot allow sourness to come in. Right. Turn it off. Stop it. You have to guard your heart. You and I must have love in us. We must have. If we do not, we're done. Everything shuts down. You cannot be a phony and talk one thing and have another thing in here. We have the heart above all is what opens this. I, uh, it was two days ago now. I was just, I was tired I'd been doing all kinds of, 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 of work around the house or something, and I was, I was weary. And aren't you, are you dangerous when you're tired? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so am I. And uh, I was talking to my, 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 my poor wife has to listen to the, the wonderful nuggets of wisdom. You can imagine how wonderful <laughs> it is to live with me. Yeah. Yeah, it's just marvelous. And, and so anyway, I'm, I'm on this. And then my, my son-in-law came over, and I, and I just found myself. And uh, when I was done, I, at some point even in, in talking to him, I thought, I, the Lord just said, listen to you. You are so sour. Everybody, you, you can tell what, everybody what's wrong with them. Stop it. And in the middle of the night, do you ever have these? I hope you do. So he, I, I wake up, and he didn't say anything, but it's just that conviction came over me, and it just burned. I just thought, oh, oh. You know, I was just miserable listening. Listen to your lovelessness. 
Listen to your self-righteousness. Listen to your judgmentalism. I was just, just, and I thought, oh, God. And so, boy, in the middle of the night, I am so sorry. And I know sorry isn't enough. I mean, God, you changed my heart. Forgive me. And, And here's what I knew. If I let that sourness get root, I can't continue to minister. I'm through. If I allow those things to come in, and it's true for you too. If you let sourness, self-pity, I've been working so hard, or, or judgmentalism, they're all evil. If, if you let that grip, if you let that come in, you are no longer of any help to Jesus Christ. The, this, is the, this is the sort of the basis for everything. There must be within our hearts the love of God. And, and he's going to tell us today how to get it, how to keep that alive. I think this is the truth to which Jesus was pointing when he said, these things I command you so that you may love one another. If he meant the, those commands, he spoke to them after leaving the upper room, then there were three of them. The first was that they must maintain an active relationship with him. They must stay attached to him like a branch to a grapevine. If they did so, life would flow from him into them. But if they became disconnected, they would dry up and stop bearing fruit. The second command was that they must continue to submit to him. They must remember the things he had taught them and continually allow themselves to be corrected by his words. Their obedience, he said, would bring God's manifest presence. When he says, he says, you will abide in my love, he doesn't mean, I'm going to like you if you do what I tell you. That's not the point. He's saying, if you will walk in obedience to me, as I've walked with the Father, as the Father's love has been upon me, and what does that mean? The power and presence of God. Everywhere he went, it was evident the Father loved him and approved of him. There was sign of it. It was evident by the power. It was evident by what he was doing. And he says, that same evidence, that same manifest presence will be over you. If you will walk in obedience to me, his manifest presence will be upon you. And the, th- they, uh, the th- second command was that they must continue to, s- to submit to him. They must remember the things he taught and continue to allow themselves to be corrected by his words. It would bring his manifest presence. And the third command was that they must decide to love each other to such a degree that they would be willing to die for each other. That painful choice would become the foundation upon which God would build his love. Three commands. Those three commands are essential if you and I are going to maintain a loving heart. Let's try to understand each one so we can continue to love people and bear much fruit. Number one, draw close. Would you say draw close? Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine... So neither can you unless you abide in me. So in order for me to love you, I have to first love him. The two are deeply connected. When I'm close to him, I'm able to be close to you. When I sense that my love for others is decreasing, when I see harsh attitudes rise up, I realize that I have a relationship problem, not primarily with people, but with him. I've drifted away from the source. You know, some people would call that burnout. It's dry up. It's not burnout. People are all, people are, the problems and pressures and issues of life and ministry are there and they always will be. 
And though it com- so it comes to you and me to, to keep the heart, as long as I'm in the vine, as long as I'm with him and close to him, as long as my heart is filled with his love, I can go and go and go. And it doesn't, it not only, you, you might think it'll kill you, it doesn't. It's the Caleb thing. You know, remember how he said at 80 years old, he said, I go out to war like a young man. Everybody else had died. But the man who walked in faith, the man who walked with God was, was vital and strong. It says of Moses that when he died, his moisture was not dried up and his eye was not dim. Walking with God is hard work and you think it's killing you, but it isn't. And you'll turn around and go, wow, how am I doing this? You're, you're sustained by his presence. Each of us must find our own ways of drawing close to the Lord. But inevitably, it will involve silencing all other voices and focusing on him. I know I'm finally there when he begins to talk to me. That's how I know I'm close. When we begin to, when I, I really don't care if he corrects me. Though I got to tell you that, that the other night was smarted. Or encourages me. Just being close to him heals me. My attitudes change, joy returns, and I'm strengthened. And these encounters must be regular. Because without them, we begin to act like the person we were before we met him. That's really an important statement. We begin to act like the person we were before we met him. If you stop feeding your spirit. No, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying, when you stop feeding your spirit, when you stop drawing close, when you, cut, when you aren't, aren't careful about that heart and about the relationship, you dry up and you become the old you. The same old person that you were before. You are now being ruled by your flesh. And you're as unpleasant, maybe more so, than you used to be. Do you hear me? I'm not being rude. I'm just telling you the truth. This is why when people say, I don't need to go to church. I'm thinking, boy, well, we all need you to go to church. You know, forgive us, but we got to live with you, man. And I need it. You need it. Whether and church can be three people in a living room. I'm not talking about this meeting. I'm talking about gathering and, or, and worshiping and pressing in and making and feeding my spirit. When I feed my spirit, when I'm close to him, um, I'm, I become like him. His love fills me. When I am not, I revert back to, to the old Steve Shell. And uh, it just isn't a good thing. Our ability to help others evaporates and we revert to trying to protect ourselves from them. Number two. Submit. Would you say submit? Submit. Jesus' second command was simple, but hard to do. He told them to remember his words and obey them. And as we've all learned, what he wants us to do in certain situations can be very different from what we want to do. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. So in those moments when we want to run away or angrily explode... Certain commands will come to mind that forbid us from continuing down that path. They demand that we halt, turn around, and go back. And if we look carefully at what he demands of us, we'll recognize that he's telling us to lay down our own frustrations and to choose to love again. Submission in those situations is what allows God's presence to remain powerfully upon us. Jesus said it this way, you will remain in my love. I need to abide in him, but I also need to obey him. 
So when he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and what he means is you remember what I commanded you and you do it. Amen. It's exactly what he's talking about. He said, if you'll, if you'll remember what I've taught you and you will do it, my love, my presence will remain upon you. And it comes down at always to these painful choices, moments in which the word of God cor corrects us. You got to know the Bible, by the way. You just be reading it. Get, get it in there. Get it in there. And what will happen is you'll come to moments where your flesh wants to do something. And then the Holy Spirit says, remember what he said? And I, I'll, just example after example. When, when Mary and I were first married, uh, look, you, you got to understand, we are really different people. She, she is from, she's, she's, she is the, what, like the, fourth generation of, of, of minister in her family. She goes back, her, her father, her grandfather, her great-grandfather. Her great-grandfather is one of the early presidents of what became PLU. He was a missionary in Spokane, basically, uh, and, and died in the swine flu epidemic. I mean, she's got long history of and her, her uncle and her everybody, her pa Lutheran pastors in the Midwest, nice, orderly people. I... And the only child of a dysfunctional mother uh, who was an artist who never cooked the same thing twice. <laughs> I love my mother. <laughs> Woo. It was a ride. And so here I come, you know, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm married to this woman who's got her head on straight and wow. And we are still deeply different. This last week, we celebrated our 46th wedding anniversary. And we, and, and, and we love each other. How do you do that? I'm going to tell you, it had a lot to do with obedience. Both Mary and I loved the Lord. That's, that's what made it work. And the other is we both honored the Bible. It was not a negotiable thing. If it said do it, then we had to do it. So when we started out and began to have these arguments, the Bible says don't let your, the sun go down on your wrath. Well, you know, which meant in our minds you couldn't go to sleep until you dealt with it. So we would go to bed, you know, and, and, and Russell, 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 Russell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for her. <laughs> to apologize. I'm just. <laughs> but we would. Sooner or later, we'd all cry. Are you still awake? Yes. I'm sorry. Okay. And, then, and we talk it through. And we do that over and over again. How's it worked? 46 years later. I really love that woman. And she loves me. And we've got children and grandchildren. And all of this that comes from that. Because his words abide in us. And we obey them. I'm just telling you, there's no getting around that. And it will always chafe. And it will go against your flesh. It will tell you to do things you just do not want to do. It, it hurts. You'll, you'll apologize. You'll repent. You'll, you'll, you'll go the second mile. You'll turn the other cheek. You'll do all kinds of very painful, uncomfortable things. And it'll work. Amen. It works when you do it. 
but it must be obeyed. Number three, would you say decide? This is by far the most painful of the three commands. Let's listen to Jesus' words again. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. What he's telling us is actually overwhelming, if you think about it. We are to put each other's needs ahead of our own, to the extreme degree that Jesus did for us. His love for us led him to die for us so we can expect our love for one another to be costly. In every relationship, there come moments when we realize that for me to love you means that I'm going to have to give up something that I really value. Did you hear that? I'm going to have to decide to put your needs ahead of my own. And I think the only thing that can empower us to make such a decision is a profound gratitude for what he's done for us. With eyes of faith, we realize that he has already given us the most important gift of all, eternal life. So we don't need to defend our rights or scramble to get our fair share. We're able to take our focus off ourselves and place it on those he's asked us to love. Maintaining that perspective is what allows us to love for a long time. He has, he, he has, while we were yet sinners, loved us and saved us and given us eternal life. Do you understand how important that is? You get, do you understand what you have? You have already. If you've, if you've surrendered to him and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, death for you is nothing more than passing through this momentary veil and, and there he's waiting for you on the other side. That's, that's it. And then you have nothing but the, the pre, you're, you're in his presence in some wonderful sense. And then you get resurrected and, and you're part of a, there's a huge future for you. You have every, everything uh, that he has is given to you. Authority, the spirit of God. You have eternal riches. Who needs to fight for your little turf? Do you remember when Paul's talking to the Corinthians and they're suing each other in court? Remember what he said? He said, what's wrong with you? Don't you get it? You're going to judge angels. Did you hear what that was? You're going to what? You're going to judge angels. Don't you understand who you are? You are, you are the sons and daughters of the living God. There is an entire, there's going to be an entire era of, of the kingdom of God come to earth. You will be there. You'll be, you'll be ministering with, with the Lord. Then you'll step into some kind of glorious new, new, new world, which he will create. All of that is yours. What do you need to fight for? What do you need to protect your little turf? He just says, don't you put it in perspective. Then he says, I want you to love each other like I've loved you. You lay down your rights and you, you serve. Now, that doesn't mean you, you allow dysfunctionality, you know, etc. So there's all kinds of uh, caution I could put to this thing. You need to be led by the Lord in it. But I will tell you, it will cost. And it's in that decision, which we make over and over again, don't we? I don't know how many times I, 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 I can feel tired. I can feel overwhelmed. I can feel, I can feel sad. And I think, I just need to quit, you know, kind of thing. I, that kind of comes over me. And, and what, what is it that turns you around? Why would you do it? In fact, I sat the other day and I thought, because I'd had people kind of criticizing churches and organized religion and all of this stuff. And I, I've been doing this for 45 years. 
and, and I, I sat on and I thought, have I been crazy? Is this nuts to have to been investing in, 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 in because I, I'm not, I am not looking for some kind of pat on the back. I'm just telling you it takes everything. I get just enough rest to keep doing. That's all. I mean, it, it's just nothing. You just live it out. Well, is that crazy? Is that nuts? It is, unless, of course, this is all true. And it's not crazy at all to serve others. It's not crazy at all to lay down your life. It's not crazy at all to give everything you got. It's the smartest thing you could possibly do. If it's true. And if it's not, the worms will eat us. That's it. Your compost. You mean nothing. It's true. Take your pick. That, that's the wonderful world that the, 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 uh, <laughs> the others want you to believe in. Hallelujah. All right, let's close. <laughs> I need to get out. I'm getting off my game. Loving God's people. Teaching us how to love God's people was the primary intent of Jesus' words that evening. Everything he said can be applied to loving anyone, but that evening he was preparing his disciples for his departure. He was deeply concerned that they would love one another because their future fruitfulness depended on it. They would change the world together, not alone. When people listened to them and, and came to faith, they must be drawn into a loving community where they could be discipled. When one of them suffered, the others needed to surround that person and comfort them. They needed to pray and worship together. They needed to serve together. Each of them had been created differently and had, had different, a different part to play in the ministry Jesus would perform through his church. But if division, bitterness, or selfishness were allowed to arise, his plans for them would be ruined. If they, pardon me, they must decide to love, they must refuse to let love die. They must reconcile as often as needed. They must repent and forgive when necessary. Above all, they must maintain the love in their hearts by drawing close to him, by submitting to his commandments, and by deciding over and over again to lay down their lives for one another. And so do we. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.